Many of us spend our whole life in search of purpose, desperately seeking meaningful ways to make a difference in the world with the short amount of time we are given. The Deploying High podcast has been designed to help you analyze what gives you purpose, to bring calmness to your life through inspirational, thought-provoking stories and conversation. I'm Nora Firestone, author of the book Deploying High, about the mission and true purpose of our host. So it is a true pleasure and honor to introduce to you Chief Gene Saunders. Hi, I'm Gene Saunders, founder and CEO of Project Lifesaver International, and this is Deploying High. I met this gentleman uh, a few years ago through contact with his father, which most of you probably know and remember, Captain Ron Yaw Sr., who was one of our ambassadors. In fact, his last post was Director of Ambassador Relations. I've had off and on contact with this young man, and uh, he has spoken at our conference on several occasions and assisted us in our drone program, uh, working with our assistant chief uh, that is handling and developing and testing our drone uh, systems and programs. Very vivacious uh, young man, very personable. Uh, I He also is connected with the medical uh, community in that he is an officer, a civilian officer with the Army Medical Corps, which he can expound on a little bit more as we go along. So today, my guest is Ron Yo Jr. How you doing, Ron? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Chief. Uh, great. I th- really appreciate you being here. So, you know, the first leadoff question I'd like to go with, and it's kind of a big, broad question, gives you a little bit of a, a maneuvering room, is who is Ron Yaw Jr.? Sure. It's, you know, it's a good question. I came from both a military and medical family, my father being a naval officer and my mom being a uh, ICU nurse. And it's interesting trying to find your way and trying to figure out what your voice is. For me, having a uh, having a as a infamous father as I did in the SEAL community, um, there was obviously a lot of questions about whether or not I would follow his path and where where my road may lead. But it's it's definitely something that's come clear in my vision over the last several years. Uh, is that you know I found my own calling in military medicine and walk various paths and. Try and often determine what's not right before you figure out what's right. You're like, I don't, you're starting school. Okay, maybe I'm not a math guy (laughs) 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 Or, or, or whatever it may be. Or you start a job, you're like, I'm not sure what I'd want to do with my career, but it's not this. And, but for me, uh, I always, um, had a, uh, a talent for computers very early on, very early on, um, and this is in the, the mid-late 80s. So this is kind of the advent of personal computing, where computers came to the house. And I, I really latched on to that. And my dad was very supportive of that. And I kind of knew I would find a career in that path. But as I move forward in my own career um, in computer science, I was drawn more and more into the military communities. It was what I'd known. I'd grown up in the Navy SEAL community, very tight-knit family in the Virginia Beach area. You know, the, the folks I played with were the sons and daughters of the 
naval special warfare community. You know, growing up, I honestly thought that the yellow ribbon always went on the inside of the door because your father was deployed, but you couldn't tell anybody. So that, that shapes my mindset. And being naturally attracted to men and women of discipline became a pattern for me. Um, I got into martial arts pretty early, made a, a small career out of that. And all of my early civilian roles, even though I was with uh, civilian vendors, were with the military. My first job out of college was with CACI, supporting the Pentagon. In fact, I've got a, uh, I've got a half-burnt, um, molded nameplate from my cube at the Pentagon after 9-11. And then with my mom, my mom being an ICU nurse, wears her heart on her sleeve. Before she even came to check in on us, when she got home, she'd call back to see how her patients were doing. And I inherited that level of empathy as well. And it wasn't too long until I found my own path, military medicine, helping those medics in the foxhole provide care, be first responders, and be those point of injury warriors to uh, support our warfighters. And as I got closer to that, you know, I realized this was my calling, providing IT support in that area. And in today's world, it used to be medicine was very siloed in the military community. You know, it's interesting, medics downrange are called doctors. And there's a saying, a medic's name is never called, it's only screamed. And when they're downrange, they are doctors. And anything we can do to support their mission is powerful. And finding my voice in that, and it's really allowed me to be comfortable with who I am, more specifically about who I'm not. I'm not a Navy SEAL. Never my honor to wear a uniform, to wear the trident. But that's okay, and I'm happy with that, because this is my career, and this is who I am. Um, and you know, for those listeners, you know, many of us are, are lost in our own paths, but give it time. Um, you will gravitate towards where you want to be in life, like a plant to light. Um, there's a saying, show me your five closest friends and I'll tell you who you are. My five closest friends are all military officers. And you know, sometimes you have to take a step back to realize that about yourself. Well, that's completely understandable. Uh, I think all of us that have uh, been around for a little while and uh, traveled through that that pathway that you're talking about have entered into one career. Um, personally, I thought I was going to be military my whole life. Well, that when I got into the military, I loved it, but I didn't love it. So I said, well, you know, it, it, this is great. I'll stay in the reserves, but there's got to be something else out there. And that's how I gravitated into law enforcement. Now, your father being a SEAL, being a very high-ranking SEAL, how much pressure do you think you got from the SEAL community? Because having, you know, some relationship with them, I know how close-knit they are. So what kind of pressure did you feel to follow in his path and, and get the trident? Yeah, it's there. Um, there is a lot of familiar pressure in that area. Um, Ron Sr. talks about it in one of his books. My saving grace, Chief, was 
I was a severe asthmatic growing up. I couldn't even take PE till the ninth grade. But I had a big brain. And it wasn't clear. I, I became a late bloomer. I really came into my own probably uh, late high school when I started picking up martial arts and saying, hey, might not be the fastest and the strongest, but if your heart's big enough, you can be successful in this area in martial arts. I, I say I never won a first round, but I never lost the last. And I remember my father sat me down in, wow, this must have been junior high school. Because I was starting to ask him more and more questions about the SEALs. He saw that I was reading some of the books he had around the house. And, you know, he could tell it was on my mind. I, I was considering going into or trying to apply for the Naval Academy. So I... I you know, my father, as any good dad, sensed the wheels were starting to turn. And, and he sat down and said, Ron, I don't, the military does a lot of good things for people, um, for people who don't have the opportunities to be successful otherwise. And it was very powerful. And I think he was telling me um, at that point, Ronnie, you, you don't necessarily need the military. I know when my dad got out of college, he didn't know what he wanted to do with his life, but he knew he wanted to swim. He had swam for Grove City. Uh, and at the time, they're like, well, if you love swimming, have you a fan of frogs? <laughs> 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 and you might know, not know this, but dad actually went to the Naval Reserves. He wasn't straight in. Before me, because I wasn't the star athlete and going up through high school because of uh, my uh, then physical limitations, I kind of got a waiver, a waiver off that. And I'm grateful I did because I don't think that was my path. I have found ways to provide service to support our um, sailors, soldiers, airmen, and Marines in my own way. Um, through the work I do at uh, Fort Detrick at Telemedicine Advanced Technology Research Center, developing medical solutions for our medics, uh, building drones that deliver blood products, um, deployable biosensors that allow remote doctors at Walter Reed or Brook Army to monitor your patients in your foxhole for you, um, has allowed me to give back to this country in my own way. So it's, while I've seen in many of my peers growing up that pressure to be that seal, to live up, to that name. Um, fortunately, I, I, I haven't felt it as much. You know, there's a, one of the few images I have of my grandfather um, is a signed picture uh, that my dad always kept in his uh, den. And it's a picture of grandfather Arthur Yaw holding Ron and Ron Sr. And Ron Sr. must have been 13 at the time. At the bottom of the picture is a handwritten transcription that says, That which I have bequeathed thee, you must burn anew if you would keep it. Your name. It's all I'm giving you. But you have to make it mean something. When Ron Sr. gave me Yaw, it meant something. And with great responsibility and reverence that I take the name Yaw and continue uh, the reputation and carry on that mantle. And I think I have. I would say so, just from knowing you. Uh, you're listening to Deploying High, brought to you by Project Lifesaver International. 
And I am Chief Gene Saunders, founder and CEO, and now a couple of words from Project Lifesaver. Deploying High is brought to you by Project Lifesaver, bringing loved ones home. More Deploying High with Chief Gene Saunders is next. Project Lifesaver is proud to bring you this episode of Deploying High with Chief Gene Saunders. Project Lifesaver is a community-based public safety nonprofit organization that provides law enforcement, fire, rescue, and caregivers with a program designed to protect and, when necessary, quickly locate individuals with cognitive disorders who are prone to the life-threatening behavior of wandering. Project Lifesaver has grown to be recognized internationally and now is one of the most widely used and proven most effective program in the nation that is specifically designed to protect the at-risk populations in our communities. Project Lifesaver strategically combines state-of-the-art locating technologies. The search and recovery times for Project Lifesaver agencies average 30 minutes, which is 95% less time than standard operations without Project Lifesaver. To learn more about bringing Project Lifesaver to your community or or to donate to the mission, please visit ProjectLifesaver.org. Project Lifesaver, bringing loved ones home. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deploying High podcast, bringing it all into view. Now, back to Chief Gene Saunders. Hi, we're back. I'm Gene Saunders, and this is Deploying High. Our guest today is Ron Yaw, Jr. Ron came to us uh, as an ambassador just this past year and has been working with us quite frequently on some of our aspects in the drone area and delivering of search and rescue and medical expertise. So, Ron, now we've talked about, you know, your past and, and some insightful information about you and your dad. How did you learn about Project Lifesaver? Sure. Um, I learned about it through my dad. Um, I know my dad had retired from the SEALs, moved down to the Port St. Lucie community um, after doing some contract work with RPI. And um, he had started mentioning supporting the Lifesaver program. So I was like, that's great. Dad's doing candy. Um, But I knew it was more, (laughs) these weren't your regular Lifesavers. Um, they were, uh, it, as I spoke to him, uh, two things were clear. Um, one, this is an interesting program. And two, dad is really excited about this. You know, he had a passion about it almost instantly. And that got my attention because, um, um, dad, dad has two modes, all in or out. And typically it's the latter. If it's not something that sparks his interest, particularly since, uh, his one of his goals of coming to Port St. Lucie was to slow down, but you can take the man out of the SEAL team. <laughs> so as I found out more about the Project Lifesaver program, for me, immediately what resonated was how closely the work uh, and the goals of Project Lifesaver aligned with my own. Um, I had, I think when Ron Sr. first started the program, I was in Germany. Uh, I was a uh, working for the Army as a civilian, as I am now. Uh, I was stationed at Lonstool Army Hospital. And Lonstool is the partner hospital with Ramstein Air Base. And they take 100% of the combat wounded in from uh, then two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and now um, mostly supporting AFRICOM and those activities coming through there. Um, but 
dad was involved with the program using technology to provide medical care. I was like, wow, you know, um, cause he hadn't, he hadn't, he'd done a lot of work through the SEAL teams, but nothing specifically in a medical modality. Uh, and, and this was relatively new. Um, and he talked about the drone program and, you know, at this point, you know, drone using civilian drones and using drones in this capacity was novel in, in, in many ways. Uh, it, it still is particularly in the way you guys apply it. Um, but in, in the military network, uh, they were using drones for less medical purposes. Um, so when I came back to the States and this was, let's see, probably 2014, January timeframe, I started to be able to spend some more time with that. And I had come down and watched uh, one of his conferences, been introduced to you guys. And around this time, I started working for the Army's Telemedicine Advanced Technology Research Center, TATRIC. And uh, they are medical um, uh, development command, uh, now assigned to the Army Futures Command. And the work I was doing there was specifically, much like you, using medical technology to provide care. Project Lifesaver, bringing our loved ones home. The Army medical slogan, bringing our loved ones home. It really aligns. So even as soon as I found out about the Project Lifesaver program, what dad was doing, um, I was interested on, on numerous levels, not just that, hey, you know, this has got my dad excited again. You know, he's running around, uh, he's talking about it. He's, even before we had an ambassador program, he was an ambassador. You know, he, I would, he, he would come to my military conferences and I'd introduce him to my leadership and he'd say, Hey, you know, it's nice to meet you, Colonel. Um, you know, I'm in typically the conferences that would be in Orlando. Have you heard about Project Lifesaver? Um, immediately. It was just, uh, became who he was. And, Eventually, I started attending my own conferences, and that's really when I think our, our connection, Chief, yours and mine, independent of my father's, began. As I developed in my career at Tatric, now picking up more elements of operational medicine, prior it was more on the biosensor medical app side, it got drew me closer to what you guys were working on and areas you were developing. And particularly as I saw Tatrick's vertical aircraft drone program develop um, and seeing some of the cutting edge technology and seeing how the payloads were increasing and seeing the various technical aspects of payloads, uh, FLIR, thermals, and those elements. I would start speaking with Gary Reynolds and Gary's like, you know, Ron, you, you have some insights, you know, this might be, this might be something that the project lifesaver community might want to hear. And so I said, Hey, Hey pops. Um, I was thinking of not just attending the project lifesaver conference this year, but perhaps speaking. And it, what a smile on dad's face he said, I thought you'd never ask. It was great. You know, so it was clear, it'd been obvious to him that there, there was something that resonated here. Um, so I came out um, and spoke and I shared some thoughts and uh, I think it was received well. It was, the, my initial conversation was, um, 
Project Lifesaver and Army Medicine Drone Programs. Where, where will we go next? And it was just an opportunity to say, hey, here's the art of the possible. To let you know some of the things I could see from my vantage point at military, in military medicine. Where we had access to um, all sorts of emerging technologies and capabilities in, in the drone field. So after that, um, after working with Sam and submitting a couple newsletter articles, um, you know, I, 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 I was ready to tar- start taking it seriously. Um, and, you know, dad was, dad was starting to have failing health at that point. But it was clear to him that before he passed, he wanted to make me an ambassador. Um, and he worked hard to make that happen. My last conversation with him on Father's Day was, hey, Ronnie, I don't think I'm going to be at the conference this year. Can you handle these elements for me? Um, and I said, sure, Dad. You know, the, the fact that you know, the last conversation I had with Ron Sr. was about Project Lifesaver tells you everything you need to know about um, my father, my passion for the program, and how amazing Project Lifesaver is. Well, your father was certainly a driving influence when he came here, uh, you know, typical SEAL fortitude and, and uh, drive, and I can see the same traits in you, uh, and you were very well received. I think that was 2019. In fact, that was our COVID conference <laughs> as we did one of the virtuals, which turned out extremely well for us, but you have been back in 20 and 21, and another thing that you did for the program is you got your boss interested dr robert walker sir uh so we're hoping you know based on the conversations with you and him that we can do even more with the army medical field and and learn from each other i feel like we'll probably learn more from y'all because let's face it you got deeper pockets than we have and you're able to do more with it but i think those are things that we can take and adapt to what, what, we're what doing. i will say um while we have the technology you guys have the use cases and the swings of the bat you use this every day. Um, we, particularly in early research, uh, when trying to determine, you know, we're trying to develop drones that can do um, casualty evacuation um, and trying to get information on what is the best way to communicate with um, a, a patient or uh, a recipient uh, down the line. And the feedback from Project Lifesaver on the, the thousands upon tens of thousands of rescues you have performed uh, is invaluable. It's, it's not something that exists anywhere else. We have, we have the U S army medical command has their trauma registry about points of injury, blast injuries. Um, but the effectiveness of using drones in various climates, communication restrictions in urban areas, battery life, what should go into a payload? How do you communicate with local first responders? How do you set up those comms nets on the field immediately? How do you create that um, that cop, that common operating picture? Um, that That is something you guys are experts on. And those are the types of things, you know, the devil's in the details. And I, I could help support or design any technical package but how it implements um, landing that plane on the aircraft carrier. It's those last 
30 or 40 seconds, that's everything. And it's win or fail. Uh, and that is one of the things I spoke loudly about at the first conference is this is very much a two-way conversation. You guys have some lessons learned that you can provide with the army. It was even at that point that I'd provide you, uh, invite you guys to the uh, military development commands open house uh, with Tatrick, uh, which unfortunately was canceled for COVID. But um, I do, I am very excited about where this relationship will go and how both communities uh, is going to get something out of it. As are we. I'd like to switch gears on you just a minute. You know, one of the interesting things that I didn't know about you and your father or your family is your middle name. Uh, and I think, you know, our listeners would be interested to know, uh, first off, your middle name is Everest. Where does that come from? Sure. So I'm Ronald Everest Shaw Jr. Um, my father's obviously Ronald Everest Shaw Sr. Um, and Everest is a family middle name. I have it. My twin sister has it. Uh, both my daughters have it. Um, so it's, it's continued now for several generations. It was the maiden name of Ron Sr.'s mom. Grace Everest. And Grace's family is the Everest family, the Mount Everest family. Um, her great to the third grandfather is Sir George Everest. Uh, he was a English surveying professor um, who, uh, back in the 1800s, was asked to provide some surveying support in Nepal along the Himalayas. At that time, however, foreigners were not allowed in Nepal. So what uh, George Everest, at that point, it was actually pronounced Everest, George Everest, um, he took in some Nepalese engineering students that had shown promise and trained them in the art of surveying. And they went down to the Himalayas and they measured various mountains. And the tallest mountain that they had found on that particular expedition, they decided to name in honor of their professor, um, George Eve Rest. Now, little did they know that was not only the tallest mountain in the Himalayas, but would soon be known as the tallest mountain in the world. Uh, so the legend of Mount Everest was born. Um, you know, it's worth noting, George never saw Mount Everest. Again, foreigners were not allowed. Um, my twin sister and I, she's in, in elementary school, uh, Donna Everest, y'all, and, and Ronnie Everest, y'all, said, hey, you, we need to go see Mount Everest. And we had, you know, made bucket lists and I had a, a couple items on it, but one of them was to step foot on Mount Everest. So uh, in 2017, I said, well, we're not getting any younger. How hard could this be? <laughs> right. <laughs> Just Google it. <laughs> um, so we got a group, hired some Sherpas, uh, planned and executed an expedition to Mount Everest Base Camp, uh, which is still seven days, and you're up to 18,000 feet. It's, it's treacherous conditions. Just, just walking. Just walking takes effort. Your oxygen saturation can drop down to 73%. Uh, typically, if it drops down below 95% in a hospital, alarms go off. Um, but what was truly fascinating about our trip to Mount Everest was um, the Nepal government, one of their cabinets is the Himalayan Mountaineering Association. Um, and one, someone in our party had reached out to them and let them know that, hey, 
uh, some Everest descendants are interested in coming to Nepal or we're coming through Kathmandu initially and they're going to do an expedition. Um, Himalayan Mountaineering Association said, according to our records, you and Donna are the first Everests to actually visit the mountain and all that time. And again, Nepal it probably opened up to non-foreigners maybe in the 30s. Um, but according to the records, we were the first. So we went to the um, headquarters, the government headquarters of the Himalayan Mountaineering Association cabinet and met with them. And it was truly amazing. So one of the things that I inherited from Grace Everest was the Everest family crest. It's a physical crest made of wood that had been passed down from countless generations. And I brought it with me and I had it wrapped up in, in a cloth. Um, and we met with the, the Himalayan Mountaineering Association and they were very excited to meet us. Uh, they blessed our trip. There were various ceremonies and I, I, I showed them the crest and you would have thought it was the Holy Grail, just the reverence, which with it was passed around the room. Um, they took pictures. They wanted pictures with us. Um, and they gave us gifts. So they, they gave us scarves and various trinkets they had. It was Mount Everest or the Nepalese word is Sagamaratha, uh, mountain, uh, sky top, um, coffee mugs. And we were done. I were overwhelmed. We're like, what is happening here? Uh, I felt like Harry Potter. Right. <laughs> um, and then before we left, they, this was in their cabinet room. There's a picture in the center of the cabinet room. They took it down. And I was like, I'm sorry. My bags are full. I, I appreciate the sentiment. They're like, no, no, no. That's where your picture is going to go. I'll be darned. Well, that's quite an honor. Yeah. Quite an honor. We came. So we went back to the hotel after meeting them. And some of the folks in our expedition hadn't gone. They said, how was it? I was like, I'm very popular in Kathmandu <laughs> in one little corner, one little gin joint of the world. I'm a pretty big deal. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that. At I'm all. big in Europe. <laughs> You're listening to deploying high and I'm chief Gene Saunders, founder and CEO of project lifesaver international. Let's take a couple of minutes to hear from project lifesaver international. Deploying High would like to thank all of our supporters across the country and around the world. If you'd like to help support our mission, please subscribe to our channel, make a donation, and please tell a friend about us. More Deploying High with Chief Gene Saunders is next. You see it in the news. Patients with Alzheimer's or young children with autism wander off from their caregivers and become lost. After 24 hours, there's only a 50% survival rate. Searches can involve multiple agencies, hundreds of officers and volunteers, and thousands of dollars. Since 1999, Project Lifesaver International has provided first responders and caregivers with technology and training to quickly locate individuals with cognitive disorders who are prone to wander. The method relies on proven radio technology, together with specially trained search and rescue teams. The result? A 100% program success rate with over 3,600 lives saved so far. 
Instead of hours or days lost, the average recovery time is 30 minutes. To learn more, visit projectlifesaver.org. The Deploying High podcast has been designed to help you analyze what gives you purpose, to bring calmness to your life through inspirational, thought-provoking stories and conversation. Now, let's continue with this episode of the Deploying High podcast, bringing it all into view. Hi, we're back. I'm Chief Gene Saunders, and you're listening to Deploying High. We're talking to Ron Yaw Jr., who has a, quite an interesting background. And I guess, you know, in closing, my final question to you, Ron, would be, what's next? That is a big question. So, um, as you know, it's been a tough week for myself, the Project yes. Life Service community, and the Yaw family. Just yesterday, uh, we committed the ashes of Captain Ronald Evershaw to the sea. Um, as part of the 2021 UDT Navy SEAL swim out ceremony. Uh, thank you for coming. It was very powerful. Very honored. You know, just, just being with you, being anywhere near Project or Project Lifesaver and Port St. Lucie, it's a tall shadow dad leaves behind. But uh, I've got my family. I've got my children. I've got my career. I've got my ambassadorship for Project Lifesaver. Uh, I have my passion. My father has equipped me to be every bit as successful, if not more than he has just in what he's taught me and how he has lived his life through such a powerful example. Going forward, I will continue supporting our warfighters, our foxhole medics, and continuing trying to live as vivacious, gregarious a life as Ron Sr. In fact, Don and I booked tickets to Antarctica. We're going to, after Mount Everest, let's go to Antarctica. We're going to, uh, sleep on a, a glacier for a night in a tent. I'm not real crazy about your travel choices, but... Uh. <laughs> oh, well, there's not a lot of COVID in Antarctica, so... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there isn't. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's... I almost want to get a bracelet and say, what would Ron Sr. do? Right? You know, he would say, stand by your ethics, have strong moral conviction, be proud members of your community, love bravely, and as I sit back and, and, and try and look at, as I've done a lot over the last few days with Dad's memorial service, take that vision and look forward. And I realize I have children looking up to me. You know, one day my daughters, Anna and Kara, might be speaking about what their dad's legacy meant. I think I found it in military medicine. I feel I'm blessed that I have that... Um, self-actualization to realize I'm where I'm supposed to be. And not a lot of people have that. So chief, I'm going to continue moving, supporting Project Lifesaver, continue uh, being a uh, research scientist for military medicine, continuing being a great father and growing member of my community. And I really look forward to what the next chapter is. I think, honestly, my life with my father, under my father, was very much a preamble. And, you know, it's not the end, it's not the beginning, but it's the end of the beginning, and that's where I am. Listen, Ron, it has been great having you here. I'm sure that your children will have a tremendous legacy to, uh, to follow and to look up to and to try to measure themselves by. 
Thank you for being here. Uh, we look forward to working with you even more in the future on the drone program and the Project Lifesaver. And uh, you you came into our ambassador program this year, and we're so happy to have you. Look forward to working with you even more as an ambassador. Thank you. Hoo-yah. There you go. You've been listening to Deploying High with Chief Gene Saunders. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deploying High podcast with Chief Gene Saunders, brought to you by Project Lifesaver. Deploying High would like to thank all of our supporters across the country and around the world. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe to our channel, make a donation, and don't forget to tell a friend about us. All proceeds from the Deploying High podcast go to support Project Lifesaver. Online at projectlifesaver.org, the original five. A 1C3 nonprofit organization. 